Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. Wow, wow, wow. We had fun yesterday on the radio, but we're back today here on this Tuesday. But I'm wow, wow, wowing, Dan. You know why. Because today we have Butters live. I mean, <laughs> unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It's incredible, as the French say. But let's take a look at some of the things we're going to be looking at at today's Market Call show, Dan Nathan. Listen, I agree with that first statement. If you think about what's going on in the world, it ain't pretty. and Unfortunately, it feels as though things are going to get a little worse before it gets better. We got some trade ideas. We're going to look at that gold trade. We're going to take a look at bonds. Those are top of mind for a lot of people. And as I just said, we have him with us today, the John Butters earnings preview, all in today's Jam Pack show. How are you, Dan? I'm doing okay. I'm also very excited for hashtag Butters uh, to be joining us in the flesh. Usually on Thursdays, we get a preview of John's earnings insight blog that drops Friday mornings. Um, and we usually just kind of get the insight of the blog, but now we actually get butters here on a Tuesday. Um, guy, lots going on in the markets here, man. Okay. So the S and P futures, if we look at these things, we talked about them. Over the last couple of weeks, I don't think either one of us thought it was a good press as they got back down towards that 4,200 level. That was the early June breakout level. You see that level, the horizontal line. You also see that it lined up nearly perfectly with the uptrend that had been in place from the October 2022 lows. You also see, look at that little yellow line. It's right there in the middle of those two. That's the 200-day moving average. Mm -hmm. They stopped right where they were supposed to on a near-term basis. Listen, I don't think... At 4,200, they're a good press, but up 4% in a straight line, guy, because, let's just say, let's be clear about this, because of the rate reversal that we've seen in yields, that's really what it has to do with. If you think about all the other, you know, goings on over the last kind of a couple, like few days has not been bullish. I mean, not something that makes you feel better about buying stocks because you think the economy is getting better and their earnings power is going to get better in the S&P 500. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, the bounce in the S&P has nothing to do with fundamentals. As a matter of fact, and Doug Cass pointed this out in a note he sent to us, but we've talked about it. The fundamentals are probably, if anything, have gotten a little bit worse. But, yes. you know, we said, and I just want to be crystal clear, I am still bearish. I have been bearish. But we also said that you know, the markets, you know, that 4190 to 4220 level is going to be critical support. We had outlined that uptrend line for quite some time. We had pointed out the moving average. We said it was logical to think it would test there and see what happens if it held. And we pointed that out. And now here is the subsequent bounce. The bounce, to your point, Dan, on the move in the bond market, which yields have gone, I think we probably were north of 480 or so. In the 10-year, now we've moved all the way down. We have a 4.6 handle or so. And again, the moves in the bond market 
market are dramatic. And it's just a causality thing. I think it's just that simple. I don't think it's any more complicated than that. But in terms of the underlying fundamentals, if anything, as I just said, you know, things have probably gotten worse. And I don't want to get geopolitical. It's all in that, but we have pointed it out. The risks in the world have just, I think, gone up by a multiple of two or three, if not more than that. And and again, that's got nothing to do with yeah. politics. That's just sort of reading the tea leaves here. Well, I, listen, I mean, reading the tea leaves is that, you know, yeah, and I know the IMF had a statement out and whether you think the IMF, the International Monetary Fund has any teeth and, 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 and they're any good at forecasting, I don't know. But, you know, when you think about just, you know, where we are from a geo, on a geopolitical spent, there's a bunch of hotspots, right? And we also know that those hotspots are inflationary for all intents and purposes on a whole host of, of levels here. And one of the big ones where we don't even have the risk at the moment, I mean, there's risk, but we don't have anything in the forefront is that we've been seeing this move away from, you know, this offshoring, um, you know, reshoring, if you will, away from China. Again, you know, that that is inflationary. Right. And so if you have, you know, a hot spot, a geopolitical hotspot in Europe and you have issues as it relates to, you know, the mm-hmm. flow of, of uh, natural gas and crude oil and, and grain and, and, and stuff in and around Russia and Ukraine. Now you have a situation that clearly affects, you know, oil output, potentially demand in, in and around the Middle East. If this thing were to expand beyond Israel um, and, and, the and, you know, Palestine and, and the like here. And then, you know, China, Russia, I mean, who knows, right? So I guess the point is, is like, you want to be cognizant of the potential of all this sort of stuff. And then if you have something of, um, and this, we should hit this because this morning, Paul Tudor Jones was talking about this. And I think that was the headline in our little rundown there. Um, so obviously legendary investor, Tudor Investments, talking about these geopolitical situations. I mean, really what it comes down to, Guy, and what the IMF said is the potential for a stagflationary global mm-hmm. And that will weigh on risk assets. Is that clear? Let's maybe throw up some of the comments that Paul Tudor Jones had um, on CNBC this morning, because I think a lot of this stuff resonates with you. And I also want to make the point that he does not speak frequently. He's not like us. He doesn't have podcasts. He's not popping on CNBC three, four times a week and doing market call every day and the like here. So when he speaks, he knows that a lot of people are focused on these comments, right? And I think that's really important. So talk to me about what he had to say and what it meant to you, because the headline is that stocks usually fall on average 12% before a recession. He thinks we're going to be in a recession in Q1 of next year. Yeah. And so this, as you mentioned, you know, there's, there are legends in our world and, and Paul Tudor Jones happens to be one of those people. I mean, Steve Cohen is that type of person. A Stan Drunkenmiller is one of those types of people. I mean, there are a handful that have reached that point where when they talk, you got to listen, Ray Dalio, and whether or not you agree with them, it's not even the point, but you have to listen to what they have to say. So when he makes comments like this, yeah, you got to take notice. Now, you can push back and say, listen, I think he's going to be wrong. That's fine. As we say all the time, that's what makes markets. In this case, he's basically reinforcing, you know, some of the think I know my belief systems and I think yours as well. And, you know, you say, and I'm not trying to be nuanced here at all. I mean, hotspots are one thing. I mean, declarations of war are entirely different. And that's what we're seeing right now before our very eyes, obviously, between Israel and Palestine. And potentially, you know, you drag Iran into this thing and then you wonder what the ramifications of that is. None of it is particularly pretty. And I think it and just through our lens, potentially very inflationary. But be that as it may, you know, we wanted to pull these John, these Paul Tudor Jones uh, thoughts and comments because 
We think they resonate, you know, with some of the points that we've been trying to make for a while. And he said the average declines about 12%. I mean, Marco Kalanovic has been on our show. You know, he was looking for a 20% drawdown. So this just, again, this is a reinforcement of the lot of things that we've been talking about for quite some time. Yeah. And and again, I want to go to the NASDAQ here for a second because we have the S&P that's up 1%. We have a NASDAQ that's up a little more than 1%. But interestingly, like, we don't see this often. The NDX, the NASDAQ 100 is underperforming the S&P 500. Why? Because of the concentration of those handful of stocks that make up, you know, what is it? Seven or eight of them make up 40%. It's interesting that Apple is only up 34 basis points today. Microsoft is basically flat on the day. Google's up 60 bips. Okay. So look, look at like, you, you know, you're seeing this rotation into other parts of the market. Some of the hardest hit areas in tech and the like. I think that's interesting. When you look at that NDX futures chart, okay, you could easily draw a red line from the high right mm-hmm. back there in the summer attached to the high and you see a downtrend you mm-hmm. see tension building and i think the Doug Cass's point that he put out on real money that this might be just a classic you know kind of bear market rally if you will I and mean, we're not in a bear market i think the ndx at its lows was down about 9% but you know what i'm saying here we bounced off at technical levels here in the s&p futures and in the nasdaq 100 futures and that might be what it is and so really it comes back to rates in a way okay you and I have a differing um, set of opinions here on rates. So let's look at the 10-year yield. Let's look at this big reversal. Let's think about why. Okay, what did you hear from, from some Fed speak, right, over the last couple of days since the situation in Israel, the attack in Israel, and the likelihood of a, of a war here? It like Basically, if we just look at the CME Fed funds tracker here, we were at about 30% um, probability of a 25 basis point hike at the November meeting for the FOMC. This mm-hmm. was about two weeks ago. Now here we are below 12%. Guy, what is the Fed speak saying to you? Okay. And and again, we have CPI and PPI this week. Okay. They might be hot. We had a jobs number that was hot on Friday. What do you do to combat hot inflationary data? Well, you continue to raise interest rates. You don't sound more dovish. So what are you hearing? And then let's focus on yields here because you and I have a, a differing view. And we often, uh, you know, we also have two different ways to play each one of our views. Yeah. So so let's, that's an important slide, but let's just go back to the prior one, which shows the move. Okay. So here we are. So we play this game every once in a while on Fast Money and we'll play it here. You know, if you had told me on Thursday of last week, what would transpire over the weekend? Again, when yields in the 10 year, probably were, I don't know, got up to about 485 or so. And you said, guy, all these things are going to happen. Where are 10 yields yields going to be? I'd say, you know what? We're probably going to see, given what you just told me under that backdrop, the flight to quality in the form of bonds, and it's going to take 10-year yields maybe down almost to 4.5%. Yields are lower, but they're not significantly lower in the context of what we've seen. I mean, we've seen moves like this when nothing's going on geopolitically along the way that have been, you know, again, commensurate with this bull market or upward trend in yield. So to me, that's telling me something. I mean, the bond market, at least in the 10-year yields, are sticky as hell. I mean, given what just transpired, you would have thought that yields would be significantly lower, and they're not, on top of which you mentioned sort of this dovish Fed speak. Now, I'll say this. The Fed might think they can control the bond market. They can't. They control a very small sliver of the bond market. And that's obviously in the front end. The back end is controlled by the market. Personally, I'm surprised that yields aren't markedly lower, understanding they're lower, 
I'm surprised that they're not markedly lower than where they are. That's just my two cents. Yeah, no, and I get it. And so, like, uh, you know, I, I mean, like the way I'm looking at it is, I think you probably have a move back to to 4:30 or something like that. And 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 again, you know, that's what makes a market here. So if you're looking at the 10-year yield, um, if you're looking at the futures that trade on them, let's just kind of pull up this chart. This is the the 10-year T-note um, futures chart. You see that downtrend um, that it's been in mm-hmm. here. Um, you know. What, what do you want to do with this thing? Let's look, let's think about your levels a little bit. Let's think about the stops and, and, and where you are initially targeting a move back down to playing again for higher yields, lower on the note. So let's play it out. So we have drawn a downtrend since the spring, effectively since May. Downtrend in this instrument, obviously, traded on the CME futures contract. So here we are looking at this. There's a chance that we continue to do this sort of slow grind higher. And maybe we get to sort of 109-ish or so. I think we're tr- currently trading a little bit south of 108. We'll still be in that downtrend. A downtrend in this instrument suggests that rates will continue to go higher over time. We're still in an uptrend in terms of actual yields. We're still in a downtrend in terms of this instrument. If I'm wrong, if we're to close above it, then that moving average comes into play. And I think that's how your trade sets up. You're saying, you know what? I'm not convinced yields are done going up, but I do think you could do a back and fill. You mentioned 430. If you're right, if 430 isn't play in terms of the 10-year, you're going to see sort of that 112 and a quarter level in terms of where the moving average is. So I, this is basically the trade. I think it stops at the trend line. You think it breaks the trend line and trades to the moving average. And again, yeah. I think you know rates can continue to go a little bit lower not much. You think they can go markedly lower than stop. That's effectively the trade. And here's how we do it. You know, you look at this sort of 108-ish level, you're stopping out again. If you want to go back 108.45, we sort of highlighted that level. But I think your ultimate target is that recent low of 106-ish. So that's how I'm looking to trade it through the futures market. Dan. Yeah, and I want to be really clear. You know, we're 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 detailing this today because we're 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 doing the show today. CME is our sponsor, and, and I think you, what you said to me, guy, is that you'd like to give this at least another day, right? You want to see if actually if yields do go a bit lower and gets that 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 ten year note. Uh, future up to about 109, which would be that downtrend. That's when you'd really love to kind of put this short trade on and play for a move back towards that 106 because 109 to 106 would be a nice little trade. Mm-hmm. And especially if you're basically using, let's call it 50 basis points as your stop to the upside. But we're detailing this trade idea and using these sorts of mathematical relationships for the trade. But ideally, you'd like to see this thing play out for another day, maybe get near-term oversold, um, you know, on, on actually on the yield, right. And then play it that way. So mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. makes sense to me. And that's using technicals and that's using your thought process about what you think is going to happen. And also sentiment. I think that people were getting overzealous. That 5% number was, was kind of getting in a lot of people's lexicon guy out over the last week or so. So again, makes sense. I'm thinking about it a little different way. So let's pull up, you know, on September 29th um, on market call, I detailed a bullish trade on the TLT. I think it was trading um, right around 89 or so um, about then. And so if I'm bullish on the TLT, that means I'm negative on yields. Okay. So my timing wasn't great. Um, here we are with the TLT at 87, the trade that I paid, it was a uh, $8 wide. Okay. Um, 
you know, call spread, um, risking about two to possibly make six. If I had this thing up 10% in a couple of months, I like that risk reward there. You know, I'm down two bucks in the TLT and the trade's down less than 50 cents. Okay. So I have plenty of time for this to work out. I just want to be really clear when we think about long premium directional trades using options, I like to use a mental stop of about 50% of the premium that I paid. So this, if this thing was worth like a dollar or less and I paid two, I'm going to cut it. I might still have the same conviction, but either too much time has elapsed, giving my probability of success, not a great probability. Okay. That's one. Or I'm just too far away from the strikes. Okay. So like those are reasons why we don't want to see long premium optional options trades go to zero. So we want to use mental stops. So we're just going to continue to update this. We're going to continue to update guys view on the idea of higher yields and mine on uh, lower yields. And we're using two different instruments um, to do that. Guy, really quickly while we're on rates and before we get to the main event here today on Market Call, which would be butters, you and I didn't have a time. Well, we talked maybe a little bit on um, on the tape with Liz Young yesterday morning. There was an article about Bank America and Bloomberg. Mm-hmm. It really caught both of our eyes. You have been pretty aggressive in your criticism of the management of Bank America, I think for a couple of years, and especially juxtaposition to Jamie Dimon, which is the CEO of JP Morgan. And I thought this this headline was was really interesting. Bank of America's wrong way rate uh, rate bets Hurts Moynihan's growth pledge. He was talking about responsible growth. He'd been talking about this for a while. You and I have talked about it dozens of times. And the underperformance of his stock is really a reflection of the sorts of risks they were not willing to take in 2020 um, or that they were willing to take when yields were at record lows and how they were managing their balance sheet. The stock today is bouncing a lot. And I just want to make one point about this. It's like we saw this with Goldman Sachs earlier in the year where the knives were out for David Solomon and the relative underperformance of their business to some of their peers. And, and it was really focused on him personally. Does this start... Is this the start of a campaign to oust Moynihan? Is this internally people who are like enough is enough? And might we see, and like might we see an activist investor get along? This is a two hundred billion dollar market cap company. It's not out of the realm of possibility. Nelson Peltz is going after Disney again. That was about two hundred billion when he first got involved. About one hundred fifty-five billion now. Uneasy is the head that lies the crown for you Shakespeare fans out there, and you know. We get on, well, I shouldn't say we, I get on him, but, you know, he sits at, you think about the position that he holds, you know, CEO of one of the most prominent banks, not just in the United States, in the world, and quite frankly, the mismanagement, which we've talked about just in terms of their bond portfolio has been glaring when you compare it to what JP Morgan did. Now, apparently, um, there's some voices out there that are echoing those same types of things. So I've never met the man. I'm sure he's lovely. It's got nothing to do with that. But you know, when you run an organization like this, everything matters. And again, there every once in a while, you are faced with a decision that's going to change sort of the, the direction of the, of the bank or the institution or your life. And when given those given those choices, you got to make the right one. And they're moving the bond portfolio um, was the exact wrong one at the wrong time. And it's seeing it manifesting itself in the stock. Do I think there's a a change. I don't. I can't speak intelligently about the management structure of Bank of America. I don't know what the culture is there. It seems much more corporate. Obviously, Goldman Sachs is a much different animal, and that's going to sound uh, snobbish, I'm sure. 
but it's a structure that works and it's worked historically. So I do think there's some unhappy people there. And I'll tell you this, don't think for a minute that JP Morgan's or Jamie Dimon's comments about interest rates are not some veiled criticism of what Bank of America has done. And quite frankly, you know, a way to sort of further insert the the knife into their collective backs. Yeah, well, here's the quote. And so this was in that article that we're referencing here in Bloomberg. By contrast, J.P. Morgan Chase's CEO, Jamie Dimon, signaled in October of 2020 that his bank was wary of higher rates. We are not going to invest in stuff making 50 basis points, 60 basis points, or 70 basis points so we can get a teeny little bit more of net interest income. We don't want to be in a position where we lose a lot of money because we may invest in some five or 10-year securities. I think that's really interesting. And just to your point, I think Bank America invested further out down the curve. Like, okay, so like, you know, like a bunch of 20 stuff. So this is going to be a problem for them. We're going to see it when they report in a couple of weeks. But again, I just wanted to highlight this. It seems like the knives are starting to come out in a more public fashion. All right, guy, let's do it. This is the, this is the moment of the week where I just look at that grin. Look at that grin on your face. Um, Senior earnings insight analyst, John Butters over there at FactSet. He is in the flesh with us here John Butters, welcome back to Market Call. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Back from some lake, like <laughs> Lake Okeechobee or Winnipesaukee or one of the Great Lakes. I don't know. It doesn't matter. You're back. That's all that really matters. Uh, it was a good summer. I got some traveling in. I, I won't say which lakes I was at, but I was definitely at some lakes this summer. Well, we're not many do- of them. We're not doxing them. That's why you just came up with a bunch of phony lakes there, guy. All right. Well, we thought, John. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. Just so we're clear. <laughs> You can see Lake Okeechobee from space. That's a huge lake in Florida. I mean, the Great Lakes speak for themselves. And Winnipesaukee, for you folks from New Hampshire, I mean, that, you're, you're royalty if you summer at Lake Winnipesaukee. But now I digress. Dan, you, please. You do. All right, let's do it. We thought this would be really good to have you on the show as we're starting to enter Q3 earnings season. You do a lot of great work over there, obviously, on the Earnings Insight blog that drops um, on FactSet's website every Friday morning. You also get it delivered to your inbox, so go check that out, people. All right, let's talk about upward and downward revisions. Because when we think about what moves stocks, I mean, John, we know that every publicly traded company, take it to the bank, every quarter, they're going to report the prior quarter's earnings. Many of them give guidance, but I think a lot of folks like Guy and myself, we're probably more interested sometimes in the body language and the visibility that we're hearing from a lot of these managements. You focus on the data, um, which I think is really helpful to kind of knuckleheads like Guy and myself here. Let's talk about what you're seeing as we head into Q3 earnings season um, about upward and downward revisions, because oftentimes that plays into the sentiment of a stock. Just this morning, we were talking yesterday on Market Call or on, on the tape about how Pepsi has sold off 20% from a, a, a 52-week high in just the last couple of months. Sentiment couldn't be worse, but revisions hadn't really come down, right? And so the company reports this morning, they beat, they raise, the stock is trading up. So talk to us a little bit about how you're thinking about setup as far as sentiment and as as it relates to how analysts have positioned themselves in a Q3 earnings season. Yeah, well, I think the main thing that stood out coming into this earnings season uh, was that analysts in aggregate really didn't take their numbers down at all during the earnings season. The upward revisions to certain companies and sectors offset the downward revisions. And as a result, you know, we're looking at basically the same earnings decline today that we're looking at back on June 30th. That's highlighted in this chart here. So back on June 30th, we're looking for a decline of four tenths of a percent in earnings. Today, looking for a decline of three tenths of a percent in earnings. And so it is interesting. Um, 
you know, if we do finish with that decline of three tenths of a percent, which I don't think is likely, that will be the fourth straight quarter of earnings decline. So we've had three previous quarters earnings decline. This would be the fourth. However, you know, given that we typically see positive surprises, companies typically beat. You know, we think this quarter will mark an inflection point, and we'll likely see earnings growth in the two to four percent range when it's all said and done. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because you also highlighted, and we mentioned this yesterday on on the tape because we saw this comment in in the blog um, from last week. You know, if we do have a you know a, another decline, and you have it up here on this slide, it's going to be the fourth consecutive quarter of EPS declines for the S and P five hundred. So we've clearly been in an earnings recession, and we talked about what John Paul Tudor Jones. Uh, or Paul Tudor Jones, not John Paul uh, Tudor, um, had to say about uh, the potential for an economic recession. Okay. So like, to me, it's interesting that if S&P earnings are going to start to inflect higher at a time where some of the most brilliant market minds out there think that the economy is now not going to be able to avoid, uh, avoid that recession that has been on many investor and strategist minds for over a year, that would be an interesting setup. Let's talk on the sector front here. What are you seeing? We know that again, you know, Infotech has been a huge driver, not just in the weighting of the indices, but also as it relates to um, S&P earnings. What are some of the sectors that you're most focused on? Yeah. So overall, eight of the 11 sectors expected to see earnings growth. Uh, On the the top end, communication services expected to lead the way at about 32%. Uh, Within that sector, Meta Platforms is the main driver of growth. Outside of that, you also have uh, Warner Brothers Discovery and T-Mobile that are also contributors as they're benefiting from some easy comparisons. Uh, after communication services, you got consumer discretionary up about 22%. Um, however, again, we, we've talked about this in previous quarters. The main drivers there, hotels, restaurants, and leisure, the vacation travel space still did well this previous quarter. And Amazon's a big driver there too. So if we took out hotels, restaurants, and leisure, took out broadline retail, which is where Amazon resides in the sector, that 22% growth rate chain flips to a decline of 9%. So really concentrated growth in the consumer discretionary space. And on the flip side, energy sector expected to be down about 38%. And that estimate's actually improved a little bit over the last month or so as analysts have factored in the higher oil prices we saw uh, during the month of September. Uh, But energy expected to be the biggest drag on the index. Take energy out. That decline of three-tenths of a percent for the index would jump to about 5% growth. And again, on the material side, uh, the second worst performing sector expected to be down 22%. Broad-based weakness there, three of the four industries expect to be down 20% or more. Only construction materials expect to see growth there. So again, uh, eight of the 11 expected to see growth, the real drag coming from the commodity-based sectors, energy and materials. Which is interesting. Before I go to your next slide, you know, I look at a couple, they're all interesting, but I look at financials, it remains to be seen what happens there. And healthcare sticks out to me as well in terms of somewhat of the drag that we're seeing that granted, you know, maybe that's the fact that know that a pretty robust years ahead of time, and maybe it's just sort of a give back, but it's going to be interesting to see how healthcare sets up and energy complete wild card moving forward, given everything that we're seeing. Let's go to your next slide because it speaks to sort of guidance. Exactly. So as we talked about, you know, again, if, if we don't see earnings growth this quarter, analysts are very optimistic going forward that it's going to happen in Q4 and into 2024. And so what's interesting to highlight here is similar to Q3, Again, analysts really haven't taken down their expectations for the next two quarters. Uh, And Q2 came down a little bit, but that's, I think, more of a a function of the base coming up when companies reported Q2. And if we look at all of 2024, looking at about 12% growth, I know you had on the, you know, earlier in the show talking about your, some of the commentary about a possible recession. 
It's certainly not baked into any of these earnings numbers for 2024. Analysts are still very optimistic that we're going to see double-digit growth really throughout 2024. And again, led by some of those megatech companies you guys were referring to earlier. So Q4, a lot of the growth expected to come from Meta Platforms, NVIDIA, Amazon, Alphabet. And they're not only expected to be drivers for Q4, but expect to be drivers uh, as we go through all of 2024. So again, as we as we usually say, you're going to want to watch the guidance. What are, anal- what are companies, excuse me, saying about 2024? And where do these expectations move as we go through the earnings season? Yeah. And John, you know, you guys had a tweet out. I'm sure this was from the Earnings Insight blog. This was on October 8th, a four 12-month PE ratio for the S&P 500 of 17.7 is below the five-year average of 18.7, but above the 10-year average of 17 and a half. So, which I think is is interesting, okay, because we're trying, but if that is based on, let's say, forward S&P um, EPS estimates that expected to be up 12% in this rate environment, in this U.S. dollar environment, in this, you know, expected growth environment, it seems like the one thing that seems off to me is that up 12%. And so how do you get to to Paul Tudor Jones? How do you get to his 12% sell-off before a recession? It's it's basically ex- expectations for S&P earnings coming down, right? And, and having basically a couple turns taken off from a multiple um, s- situation. So all that very interesting, which is why I think it's really important um, to track this sort of data, you know, you can be a talking head like myself. You can be a guy like Guy over there who has our own views on this, but the data really matters. And to us, it's expectations of that data, which is one of the things that people are willing to, I guess, go out on the risk curve a little bit. And we've been talking about some of these big names where, you know, the stocks, let's say, have moved because of the excitement in and around AI. If the Q3 results and the Q4 guidance or any company willing to look out beyond Q4, you know, where a lot of this positive enthusiasm about AI is in and they're not able to put their finger on, you know, increased earnings opportunities for this. That's one of the things I think where you maybe have, Guy, some of this kind of multiple compression in some of these names that have really done a lot of the heavy lifting in the stock market, you know, in in 2023, that with an S&P up 13.5%, we know a lot of that performance has to do with some of those big names that make up huge weightings in the indices. Listen, you know, and Doug is texting me as we speak. If we go back to the prior slide real quick and and listen, John's work is just exactly that. He does his work based on the data and it's not his data. It's the data that he compiles and he brings forward. I totally get it. You know, I'm hard pressed. And it's interesting when I was thinking the same thing when Doug texted me, it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, how, you know, given everything that's transpiring, you know, given the fact that rates have moved as much as they are, you know, given the historic lag effects that have yet to be felt, how are we going to see such robust earnings growth? But again, that's what makes markets. So the bull case is that. The bear case is there's no shot of this happening, Dan. All right. Well, listen, you know, a guy, um, he came, he saw, he kicked some you-know-what. Roman Empire. It, By the it, way, it, apparently there's some meme that everybody thinks of the Roman Empire a few times a day. Clearly you do because you just invoked it, Dan Nathan. I did. I did. All right. It's John Butters. He is the senior earnings insight analyst over there at FactSet. You can subscribe to his earnings insight blog. Look at that, people. Go there. Subscribe. Get it in your inbox. We preview it on Thursday's market call, but you can read the whole thing there. Also, follow on Twitter because they break down a lot of the data that they cite in there um, on their Twitter page. John Butters, we really appreciate you joining us. We hope that you will come back maybe sometime towards the end of Q3 earnings season, we could take some stock of what we heard. Sounds like a plan. Looking forward to it. Thanks again, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, bud. 
Um, created we have we have he's he's transcended i mean he's i mean think about it it's just butters now yeah i swear i was walking through Times square yesterday i'm not even kidding around i mean there are just people murmuring themselves butters, butters it's the craziest butters. thing well, you know, what, what's really interesting um you know fact has been a great partner of ours for almost three years now i think and you know i have been reading the earnings insight blog by butters he's been there for an awfully long time so it was really actually kind of fun for me to put a name with a face a couple years ago um when he started coming on and i know that you've been a street accounts guy for how, how long have you been 20, a street- 20 something years probably it's yeah it, it's interesting um and it's a great service too so we use that a lot um okay guys let's talk a little bit um let's go back to the macro for a second here because we talked about you know rates um we know that you know the dollar is is a huge input here um carter braxton worth has a note out about the dollar um he thinks it goes lower i think we have a chart um right here i actually have an options trade playing for kind of lower levels we detailed that also on september 29th on a market call i was using the uup uh the etf we'll update that it hasn't moved a whole heck of a lot thoughts here on the dollar both technically and then also as you think about it in the macro uh landscape here well well, if I if I think rates are going to get back on their horse, it stands to reason I think the dollar is probably going to stay firm. And again, given everything that's transpiring in the world, you may see the dollar as some sort of flight to quality instrument without question. So that makes sense. Flip side, I think you think, well, I don't think, you know, you've pointed out that you think rates are going lower. I think Carter thinks rates are going lower. It stands to reason if that transpires the dollar will probably follow. This is a fast, you can make a pretty cogent argument and hopefully we have for both sides of this equation. However, if the dollar starts to fall here, let's just start to play it out. It's going to go, all roads lead back to gold. And one of the things that Paul Tudor Jones talked about in that clip or in his interview today was the fact that he actually liked gold. He mentioned Bitcoin as well, but it's sort of, it again, it reinforced my belief system that maybe I'm not as crazy as I thought. You're not that crazy. Um, All right, let's talk about gold here because you actually did detail a trade using the futures um, last week on market call on Tuesday. Um, The level was 1830. You wanted to stop it at 1810. You had an initial target at 1927. So it's starting to go your way here, guy. We have, you know, 1873 or so. Um, What do you want to do with this trade here? Because again, you know, one of the things about futures is, um, you know, gives us the ability to kind of set stops, move stops and, and really kind of rejigger your risk when you have things both going against you and going in your favor. Okay. So this is a trade that it not huge, but it's moving our way. So how do you trade it now? Well, the first thing you do is you raise your stop. So that's in our parlance, that's called a trailing stop. So the original stop was 1810. We've now raised it to the level that we put the original trade on. So in terms of that, you know, that just mitigates your risk. However, I think you can add to that long position here. So you add to the long position at current levels. It's called 1875. You've lowered the stop for the entire trade, uh, and you still have the same upside target. Now, if this thing starts to move in our favor, the initial target of 1927, maybe we take off half the position and raise the stop again. But we'll do this probably, you know, next week we'll update the trade. But that's how you, that's how these things become a living, breathing thing. And you tweak them along the edges. You know, you don't stay static. Something we say in the trading world is consistency is a moving target. So 
as things move for you, you move. As things move against you, you move. But you're constantly in motion here, and that's how I would look at it, Dan. All right. Well, you got this one going in your direction, and you're managing it. We'll continue to manage this trade. Continue to guys, update you guys on Guy's view on gold. Also, our good friend Danny Moses, who is our co-host of On the Tape. He is long of gold. He expresses that view um, and through an ETF, and sometimes through um, some 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 uh, you know gold miners and the like here. So we'll keep you up on that. Um, let's we talked we talked about Pepsi um, a little bit, Guy. So Pepsi from its September highs. Look at that when it kind of. Got got rejected at its 200-day moving average, dropped about 15% to its lows the other day, okay? So you see the bounce here. It was down 21% from its 52-week and all-time highs from earlier this summer. We knew that they were reporting today before the opening. I think you and I had talked about it a little bit. Not a great press on the short side by mm-hmm. any means. The company beat and raised the stocks up 6.5% from those intraday lows. I think they were on Friday or so. Just quick takeaways here because, you know, guy, I thought it was interesting. They, they specifically talked about these GLP-1 weight loss drugs. That was something that I think caused this latest leg in, in some consumer staples and some um, other, you know, stocks exposed to consumption of, you know, groceries and the like here over the last week. It just seemed a little too early. Um, we talked about it a little bit last week to kind of think about, you know, how limited these drugs are right now and to have the sort of effect on a Walmart or, um, you know, you know, maybe more so on a Pepsi, less so on a Walmart. What do you do with this thing here? Technically, it's getting to a level, right? Um, I, I'm just curious, how important are technicals when you've seen this stock go from trading at 27 times to about 20 times in, in a mat, you know, in, in a handful of months here? Probably the cheapest forward PE in yeah. a very long time. All right. So what do you do to answer your question? So if you were fortunate, let's just say you've been buying the stock a long way, you're catching your bounce now. Now you have to ask yourself, right? What is really going on here? You know, is it a broken company? Absolutely not. Is it a challenge company? In this environment, maybe a little bit. And maybe that premium multiple that it enjoyed for so long, it's it's no longer worthy of that. So I still think this is a stock that's going to be challenged. The question you have to ask yourself if you really want to play stock market here is where do you sell it and look for another entry point to get short? If you just go back and look, for example, the May high, I think, came in, Dan, around 196 and three quarters or so. The next high was in July, around 191 and change. There's probably a downtrend line that you can draw. And then you have to figure out, you know, where is this thing going to stall itself and where are you looking to put out maybe another short position or get out of an existing long. But that's that's how I look at it now, because I think this downtrend, I don't think it's been broken. I just think this is a bounce along the way. Okay. Yeah. And I agree with that also. Um, so we'll keep an eye on, on some of these other consumer staples. I also think it's interesting that Target got hard hit on some of the similar sort of themes last week, as did Walmart. Targets bouncing kind of hard. Last thing before we get out of here, we were talking about how a lot of retailers, maybe kind of more at the kind of lower end, have been talking about this trade down phenomenon. And this has been going on, I think, for a year or so. Here's LVMH. And I, I think this is obviously one of the, the biggest uh, luxury brands on the planet here this summer guy was making or just did make a new brief all-time high Mm -hmm. okay and look at how this stock has sold off precipitously i think at its lows you know a couple weeks ago is down maybe nearly 25 percent from those highs so at least you know some investors are kind of worried that this was going to be seeping into you know a a more international trade down if you will from luxury goods uh, maybe just less demand 
company came out just a couple hours ago, um, and some of the results that they posted were less than expected. And so it's, it's just kind of interesting. Some of the commentary is also speaking to a return to growth. So the stock sold off a little bit. What does this mean to you? This is not a stock that either one of us follow uh, particularly closely. I know that you know uh, your, your luggage, there's not a piece of luggage in, in any of the closets in the Adami household that have um, an LV on them. So it's not something that you and I can speak to from a personal consumption standpoint. But what, what is it mean? to you that we're starting to see, you know, like slightly worse than expected. Cracks in the high end, right? I mean, we've already seen, well, then you just play it out. You know, we've seen the cracks in the middle to the low end without question, and we've highlighted it for a while. And now, at least anecdotally, we're seeing it on the high end as well. Now, one stock does not a, I guess, a trend make, but it's something to clearly look at. And to your point, I mean, the stock has been telling the story for quite some time, and now the commentary sort of backs it up. And I think, you know, you know what I think, you know, I think the consumer is definitely stretched. It's clearly manifested itself in names like Target and Dollar Gen. And now it's starting to manifest itself on the other side of this barbell. I think that's somewhat problematic. Yeah, I agree with you there. Okay, well, listen, we covered a lot of ground today. We updated a few trades. We hit Paul Tudor Jones. We had butters that was yeah we did um so that's all great stuff so be sure to go check out john's earning insight blog you can get it uh, downloaded to your email box every friday morning and of course we highlight it on thursday's market call you and i are going to have liz young ey from sofi on thursday's market call tomorrow we have Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting on with us um, on Market Call. So we're going to chart some of the stuff that we were just talking about a little bit. Um, and that's it. that's it for me, Guy. Fun show. I want to thank everybody for joining. Obviously, thank John Butters. I mean, it's great having him. What do they say? And what do they kids call it when you're in real life? Yeah, IRL. Oh, that's what that's that's, that's what, that's what that's that stands for. Yeah, IRL. How about I thought, like, I thought there was like a website after the dot. See, that's you learn URL. something. There. That's a oh, that's URL. It's URL. So it's the craziest thing. Yeah. Anyway, I want to thank FactSet. I want to obviously thank CME Group. Thank you, Dan Nathan. And thank the audience. We'll be back tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern time. Hasta la vista, peeps. See ya.